Well, good morning. My name is George Olmstead. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I have the privilege of sharing God's Word with you this morning. And here's what we get to do. We get to finally resume our study through the book of Ephesians. We've had quite an extended break uh, due to the, the holidays and different things that we were speaking to, but our text this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 5, and we will be looking at verses uh, 3 through 14. So uh, before we get into our text, though, I thought it would be wise for us to have a quick review and a rewind before we resume. So why are we studying the book of Ephesians here at Fellowship? Well, we desire to take a deep dive into what the true church is. How does she thrive? How does she grow? How does she remain powerful and purposeful? And how does she both have and give life? Well, Ephesians is the letter for life. So some quick review. This letter was given by God, written down by Paul to show them the path of maturity in Christ. Not merely as individuals, but together as the body of Christ. Chapters 1 through 3 in the book of Ephesians deal with the wonders of the grace of Christ. As a matter of fact, it identifies the role of each person of the Godhead in bringing us salvation and genuine spiritual life. It also lays the basis for reconciliation of hostilities based on racial or cultural differences. We also need to understand that Ephesians 4, verse 1, through chapter 6, verse 9, excuse me for just a second. Try this again. That that part of the chapter, or part of the book, speaks to the way we walk in Christ. And, And this section affirms the spiritual union experienced by all Christians and calls for mutual involvement in ministry to one another and how we actually practically live out our life in Christ. And that's where we find ourselves right now in our sermon series. But Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 24, deals with the warfare we face in Christ. It speaks to God has provided the spiritual armor that we need to enable us to live victorious in Christ. Do you desire to live victorious in Christ this morning? I do, and I'm sure you do. So we're going to get to look at that later on in our series victorious in Christ in the midst of a world that is satanically satanically opposed to him. So this is the intent of this letter. And this intent of Ephesians is the mission of Fellowship Bible Church. We are to glorify God by living out the life we have in Christ. So I want you to participate with me for just a second. When you hear that word life here at Fellowship, it should ring a bell. Boom, boom, life. That's what we talk about. What's the L stand for in life? What was that? Loving God. All right, loving God. All right, we're going to wake up this time. What's the I stand for? Investing in others. This side's strong. What's the F stand for? Following God's Word. And the E. Engaging our world. That is the life mission of Fellowship Bible Church. So we reviewed why we are studying Ephesians, but let us take a minute to simply rewind to our last sermon in this series. Pastor Grant taught through verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, and here's what it reads. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So we learned that as children of God, we walk in love by imitating God's love closely, 
by knowing Christ's love personally and giving our love graciously and sacrificially. Pastor Grant wrapped it up in this. He said, we are most like God when we love like Christ. We are called to be imitators of Christ and to walk in that true love of God. Now, in setting the stage, we can resume our series, and we find ourselves in chapter 5, verses 3 through 14. Just a little bit more of some audience participation this morning. I'm going to give you a word that I want you to give me the opposite of that word, all right? So, um, what about the opposite of fast? What about long? Cold? Young? Soft? Sour? High? Rich, love, hate, wisdom, foolishness. He says stupidity. <laughs> Did not get that one the nine o'clock hour. I love it. All right. Foolishness. We'll wrap stupidity in that. What about light? Darkness, right? This world we live in is dark. It's evil. It's sinful. And as believers, we are called to the opposite of that darkness. We are called to be light in the midst of darkness. And and this calling is not simply to be a light, but listen, to be light. So Paul, while writing to the church at Ephesus, he addresses what it means to live as light. He, He speaks to the transformation a true believer undergoes when they move from death to life, from lost to saved, from dead in their sin to redeemed by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So as we dissect this passage this morning, we're going to understand that as children of God, not only do we walk in love, but we walk in light by living out a lifestyle of holiness. And Paul gives us six admonitions to help us live out this call as children of light. So I want you to read verses 3 through 5 with me. Follow along. It says in verse 3, But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not be even mentioned among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or foolish talk or vulgar joking, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Verse 5 says, For this you know with certainty that no sexual, sexually immoral or impure or greedy person which amounts to an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So remember, in verses 1 and 2, believers are called to be imitators of Christ. And as children of God, we walk in light by encompassing purity. But here's what Paul does. As he he gives us this idea of what purity looks like, he, he provides a list of sins that are opposite to that call and that actually impede a lifestyle of purity and holiness. What were some of those that were listed? Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, foolish talk, vulgar joking. Listen, true love, that agape love, is what we are to imitate. However, what happens with the world around us in which we live? They think of love in a romantic sense or an erotic sense or a self-gratifying sense. When Paul speaks of sexual immorality, here's what he's doing. He's addressing all sexual sin. The Greek word here is pornea, which has a common root for our word, pornography. 
And this includes sexual sin outside of marriage. It includes fornication and adultery and homosexuality and prostitution. It's it's a lustful lack of self-control. When a person is involved in these types of sexual sins or any sexual sin, guess what? They are very far from encompassing a life of purity that we are called to as believers. But you know, Paul only doesn't only speak to the sexual immorality, he talks to impurity. And he uses the Greek word here, a catharsia, which is related to our word catharsis, but it's formed in a negative. And just as something cathartic would cleanse us, something acathartic would pollute us. So this word, this word impurity, it's talking about that more general sense than immorality, and it points to anything that is unclean and filthy. Listen, it's talking about uh, uh, that type of speech that is of slander. It's of gossip. It's obscene. It's vulgar. Listen, sexual sin is unholy. I want us to be clear, it doesn't matter which kind of sexual sin. It doesn't matter if it's open and part of a movement or it's hidden and no one ever knows about it. Our culture does what? It glorifies immorality and impurity. As a matter of fact, you know this, you can't turn the TV on or scroll through social media or simply go out in public without encountering glorification of sexual deviance. And unfortunately, I, I hate to say this, but, but acceptance of sexual sin, it's been welcomed into the church as well. And I want us to be clear. Listen, grace abounds in all things. But consequences to sin, and specifically sexual sin, they abound as well. And Paul addresses that a little bit later, and we'll get more into that. But I want us to understand that that just doing what feels good and what we think we should be able to experience sexually outside the confines of marriage and and even within the confines of marriage, when when you think about that, sexual sin is dangerous and it's destroying the culture we live in today. But next in the list, Paul addresses greed. As a matter of fact, that greed that we're talking about here is kind of like is, is more like that covetousness as it would be translated. And this greed includes that pursuit of sinful sexual pleasure as well as the pursuit of material possessions. The lustful pursuit of sex and possessions, it's, it's very dangerous. Why? It causes hurt. It causes pain. It causes destruction. Immorality, impurity, and greed causes spouses to be forsaken. It causes children to be neglected. It causes families to be separated. Friendships to be ended. Churches to be splintered. And testimonies of believers to be weakened and to become stumbling blocks instead of powerful testimonies of impurity of purity and light. You know, Paul goes on, he doesn't stop here, he continues, he addresses such things as filthiness, that that dirty speech, those obscene things that we say, or those obscene words that are used. And it's including any of that talk that is disgraceful, again, that gossip, that slander. You know, he, he addresses this thing called silly talk, or talk that is filled with foolishness. You know, the root of this word here is actually the same root we get for the word moron. This silly talk is useless 
that's unedifying, and it's unnecessary. Listen, we are to speak with purpose. Now, we're to have fun, we're to laugh, God gave us laughter, and, and we're to do all that, but, but we're to speak with purpose. And not let our minds and our hearts and our mouth be used for useless, unedifying, and unnecessary speech. But then he addresses this coarse jesting or this vulgar joking. And this refers to those who will take any comment or conversation and they'll find a way to make it sexually suggestive or, or twist what is being said into something obscene. You know what we're talking about. And it's just become socially acceptable and it's creeping in to the church. I'll be honest with you, man. I, I've been around some, some Christian men Man, when, when you get away from the church, you get away from Bible study, and maybe you're, uh, 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 you're out on the, on the lake, or you're playing golf, or you're throwing horseshoes, or you're just sitting around talking, man, some of that stuff gets vile. You know, everything Paul is addressing is the opposite of encompassing purity. As children of God, we walk by light, by encompassing purity, by avoiding sexual sin, by pursuing purity, by avoiding speech that glorifies the world and filthiness. Instead here, Paul says this. Hey, instead of using your mouth to glorify the world, how about this? I love it. Give thanks. Give thanks. George, why, why would that be in here? here, here here's why. As believers, we have so much to be thankful for. What do we have to be thankful for? Our salvation. The way the, uh, the Lord works within our lives. The way He transforms us. The way He goes about uh, before us working all things together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. Listen, we, we give thanks for being redeemed and, and pulled out of that self-satisfying lifestyle which pursued immorality and impurity and greed and filthy speech that, that glorified the world instead of Christ. The believer is thankful for being able to now live a life of holiness and purity. But Paul doesn't mince words when he continues in verse 5, does he? He states this, Knowing this with certainty, no immoral or impure or covetous person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Man, listen, we can't just brush this under the rug and we can't just avoid this we, or push it to the side. We've got to address this. We understand that, scripturally speaking, the, the Bible teaches that a true believer cannot lose their salvation. We, we did nothing to earn it, therefore we can't do anything to lose it. Ephesians has taught us that God has sealed us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what is Paul talking about here? He, he, he makes a very firm statement. What Paul is writing here is that a shameless, continuous, sinful lifestyle unchanging and, and unchangeable, even in the face of exhortation or confrontation or discipline, shows a person is dead in their trespasses and still by nature children of wrath. Listen, 1 John 1, 8 proves the believer will sin. But with that sin, there will be conviction and there will be repentance. The promise of salvation is that we will be made new in a pursuit of, of holiness and righteousness, those will be the driving characteristics of who we are in Christ. 
Listen, as children of God, we are to walk in light by encompassing purity. So, so let us, as we pursue holiness and righteousness through the changing nature of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, put away these sins and pursue that lifestyle that is pure in Christ. You know, Paul goes on in verse 6 to state, See that no one deceives you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of of disobedience. Listen, Paul knows what he's talking about. He's providing some wise counsel. He knows how the world works. We are to endure sound doctrine. That's the second admonition here. He knows that people are going to to attempt to, to give us empty, deceptive words to allow us to continue in our sin. But he says, whoa, 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 wait a second. Flee from that. Encompassing purity is vital to the believer as we walk in light. However, the world is going to attempt to deceive us by empty and false promises of pursuing worldly desires. Man, the world is going to tell you what? Do whatever you want. You know, unfortunately, there's some within the church that will say the same thing. Hey, it's okay to sin. Falling into the same sin is just something that happens. Let me ask you this from that perspective. Why would the believer ever be okay with sin? Why would we ever be okay in accepting of sin? Listen, we are no longer sons of disobedience like we once were. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that we have been called out of darkness into what? Christ's marvelous light. Paul goes on to say that the sons of disobedience, man, they will face the wrath of God. They revel. Who are these sons of disobedience? They revel in the life of darkness. They enjoy that pursuit of of unholiness and and filthiness. They're content living that lifestyle of self-gratification and self-service. However, as a child of God, we walk in light by enduring sound doctrine of truth. The believer stands on the firm foundation of God's word. We do not give in to the culture's demand to twist and take scripture out of context. Listen, we've been saved. We've been changed. We are being sanctified. And we do not allow ourselves to be deceived with the empty words. But instead, we find ourselves strengthened and maturing upon what? The truth of God and his word. As children of God, we walk in light by encompassing purity. We walk in light by enduring sound doctrine. But we also walk in light by embracing light. Verse 7 reads this, Therefore do not become partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You know, this is one of my favorite parts of this passage. Why? Because it reminds me of who I was before Christ and it allows me to rejoice in who I am now in Christ. Do not become partakers with them. With who? The sons of disobedience. But instead, be reminded that you once were darkness. I want you to underline that in your Bible. This is so important to understand. Listen, we were not just living in darkness before Christ. Catch this, we are part of the actual darkness. 
To simply say we were living in darkness gives us the idea that there may have been a glimmer of light within us. But the reality is that due to our trespasses and sin, there is no, there was no light in us at all. Remember Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it reads this, And you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, listen, we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. We were darkness. What did that mean for us? What does that mean for the, child, the sons of disobedience? We were not children of God. We were, we were lost in our spiritual darkness, separated from our Creator. We were destined for eternal punishment due to our unforgiven and unrepented and depraved hearts. That eternal punishment was an eternity and is an eternity separated from God forever. You know, that's still the truth for those who never come to know Christ. We were darkness. But, I'll say it again, but, Paul goes on to say, we are now light in the Lord. Boy, that should bring a big sigh of relief. Because here's what's happened. Those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those who have repented and confessed of their sin, we've been saved out of darkness, placed into the kingdom of Jesus. And now, according to Matthew 5.14, we are the light of the world, just as Jesus is the light of the world. And in this, we have been called to walk as what? Children of light, Paul tells us in verse 8. We are no longer darkness, but light. This is is our anthem. Do you remember that old Sunday school song as a child? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. As a matter of fact, I'm going to let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Boy, are we truly children of light? Do we let the light shine? Stuart Strahan, a junior, he's a Presbyterian minister and founder of the Pastor's Workshop, and he tells this story. He says, when I was in college, I lived abroad for a year in Germany. We always had Fridays off so that we could travel around Europe, and we had the URL Pass. And, and one weekend, we were in the popular backpacker city of Interlaken, Switzerland, and having just checked into our hostel, happened to meet some fellow college students who were travelers from Wisconsin. And he says, there was a woman in their group with, uh, with the, in the group with whom they began a conversation. And it became clear to him that there was something special about her. It wasn't her looks, it wasn't her intellect, but rather something like an inner radiance. He says, but what was fascinating was, after returning to our room, I was chatting with one of our, my friends who had also met this young woman, and somehow this woman came up in our conversation. And we both had the same impression. They said there was something about her. She was their age, she was their peer, but she made them feel a sense of comfort in her presence. He says somehow later we discovered that she was, as we suspected, a faithful Christian. And he goes on to say, looking back, I would say it was the Holy Spirit emanating from her, showing us an inner light that was so impressionable, I remember it to this day some 20 years 
later. That is embracing light. God has called us to be believers in Him. And when we become a believer, and He saves us, we embrace the light. We embrace the new creation that we are becoming. We embrace the sanctification and the change that will take place. As children of God, we walk in light by encompassing purity, by enduring sound doctrine, by embracing light, and by experiencing fruitfulness. You know, verse 9 and 10 reads this, For the fruit of life consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, as you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So how are we to walk as children of light? Well, we pursue all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And so goodness here refers to moral excellence. You see this in 1 Thessalonians 5.15 when it says, Always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. This is the same goodness that's found in Galatians 5.22 that's listed as a fruit of the Spirit. And I want us to understand this goodness cannot be lived out apart from Christ. This fruit of light consists of the desire and the pursuit of goodness granted by God. Righteousness that's listed here is the same thing. It cannot be lived out nor practiced apart from Christ. This is why it is a fruit of light. Romans 6.13, if you want to jot that down, Romans 6.13 says, Do not go on presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your body parts as instruments of righteousness for God. 1 Timothy 6.11. 1 Timothy 6.11 says, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue what? Righteousness. Godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And then 1 John 2.29. 1 John 2.29 says this, If you know that He is righteous, who? Jesus. You know that everyone who practices righteousness also has been born of Him. Why? Because only righteousness can come from Him. And then he speaks of truth. What is this truth? This has to do with honesty and reliability and, and, and trustworthiness and integrity. And so when we look at these three fruits of light, we understand this. Goodness pertains to our relationship with others. Righteousness to our relationship with God. And truth with our personal integrity. Man, Paul provides wise counsel here when he tells us to experience fruitfulness as we walk in light and as we try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. You know what? This side of heaven, we will never master Christianity. We're always learning. We're always growing in the Lord. And here at Fellowship, we want to grow deep. So why? That we can reach out We desire to see people become complete in Christ. And that only happens with continued maturity through learning what pleases the Lord. Here's something I want us to understand. These three spiritual fruits, goodness, righteousness, and truth, these three spiritual fruits are what allow the believer to be known by their fruit. When we practice it and we live it. As children of God, we walk in light by encompassing purity, by enduring sound doctrine, by embracing light, by experiencing fruitfulness, and by exposing sin. Not everyone's going to like this, but this is what God has called us to do through the book of Ephesians, through the writer Paul. Do not participate in the useless deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. 
And Paul once again warns us against participating in the deeds of darkness. Here's what he says. Listen, we should flee from sin. We should avoid sin at all cost. And as children of light, we should expose sin. Listen, we are not to be afraid to call sin what it is. We are to stand against sin. We are to confront sin. We are to expose sin within the world. We're to expose sin within the church, expose sin within our brothers and sisters in Christ, and expose sin in our own life. Where does it start? It starts with us. Examining our heart, exposing the sin that we've allowed to come in, and to confess and to repent and to do away with through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to hold fellow believers and the church accountable. We're to battle sin within the world as it affects our society. I'm tired of how sin is taking over. And our world is going in a dangerous direction. We understand that these things are going to take place and it's going to get worse. The Bible tells us that as we wait upon the return of Christ. But listen, it doesn't mean that we have to affirm or accept that sin has to reign supreme in the culture. Many believers will not expose sin. Why? Maybe because they may be worried their sin will be exposed. But listen, if you're examining yourself and exposing that own sin and confessing or repenting, guess what? You can take that one off the board. Or maybe they feel like they're going to be attacked. Listen, I want to promise you that you will be attacked for standing up against sin. Be ready for it. So we can take that excuse off the board too. Or maybe they feel like they don't have the answers to defend their faith and their position. Can I tell you, that's what Fellowship Bible is all about. I want you to come and become a complete disciple of Christ. To learn how to defend the faith. How to stand up against sin. To do that, locally, to do that with the body of believers together, but also to do that individually. Now listen, I want us to understand, we're not, we're not to be violent, we're not to be disrespectful or rude or even aggressive. We're just simply to speak truth and expose sin for what it is. And what is that? An attack on God and who He is. And Paul warns us that there are deeds of darkness that shouldn't be spoken of in detail due to their vileness because describing them can be morally and spiritually dangerous. Let me give you an example that would help us make us clear. There are some diseases and there's some chemicals and nuclear byproducts that are so extremely deadly that even the most highly trained and best protected technicians and scientists who work with them are in constant danger. And really no sensible person would really want to work around such things. In the same way, some things are so spiritually disgraceful and dangerous they should be sealed off even from conversation. They should only be exposed only to the extent necessary to rid them. And can we be a people... Can we be children of light willing to expose sin so that goodness and righteousness and truth will be made known to those around us? Remember, our resource for exposing sin is what? It's not you and me. It's Scripture. You want to be able to expose sin well and holy? Go to the Scripture. Why? Because Scripture is profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And as children of God, we walk in light by encompassing purity, by enduring sound doctrine, by embracing light, by experiencing fruitfulness, by exposing sin, and lastly, by exhibiting and exclaiming light. 
What does verse 13 and 14 tell us? But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What exposes darkness? Light. I want you to think about shopping for just a second. And I know I just lost a bunch of people, but I love to shop. I'll, I'll say that. Don't like to spend money, but I like to shop, so I don't know how that works. But end of the day, when I'm shopping, I want to be in a well-lit store. Why? So I can see any blemish or imperfection of the items I'm buying. I want to make sure I'm not getting ripped off. I want to make sure that I'm getting what I'm expecting. I don't want to go into a dark store and then come outside and go, oh my goodness, what did I just buy? Children of light do the same thing. We expose the dark world for what it really is. It's hopeless. It's fraudulent. It's evil. And it's all about self. When others are living in the dark, remember when you were in the dark, when you were darkness? A son of disobedience? What did you need? What did I need? We needed someone who was once darkness to be light. To not only expose sin, but exhibit and exclaim the truth that overcomes and defeats sin. I'm so thankful that God draws people into Him. That He uses us to be a light to point them to Him. Don't, don't, don't wipe off or push off that responsibility as a believer. We are to be children of light. Paul uses what historians think is an old hymn of the first churches to finish out our text. He says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Two perspectives of truth. First, the non-believer. The non-believer is asleep unaware of their lost condition, tragic, they're in their tragic destiny. They're in need of someone to awaken them from their predicament and need. They need to repent and turn away from their dead sin. And here's the good news. It's that God has provided salvation for those who will awake, arise, repent, and place their faith and trust in Jesus. But what about the believer? The believer who's fallen into temptation who's not near to the Lord and is in need of accountability and truth and confession and repentance, can I encourage you this morning to arise, awake, and acknowledge where you are? There's good news for you too this morning, believer. God has not left you nor forsaken you. As a matter of fact, He is right where He's always been. If you truly know Him, I sincerely ask, then why continue to move further away from him instead of returning to him and pursuing the life of a child of light? You know, when Robert Louis Stevenson was growing up in Scotland, in those days, street lamps didn't just come on automatically. Who knew? But people were hired to light each one individually. And one evening, as the lamplighters did their work, they would climb up their ladders, they would lift the glass lid, they would light the torch, they would then shut the lid, and they would climb back down, and they'd move on to the next lamp. Young Robert was enthralled. And as dusk settled into night, 
One light would be kindled, and then another, and then another. And then he turned to his parents and he said, Look, they're punching holes in the darkness. And oh, this should be us, y'all. As children of light, we are to be punching holes in the darkness of this world. Exclaiming and living out the life we are called to in Christ. Will you, will Fellowship Bible, will we be the true church made up of individuals who truly desire to be children of light, pursuing goodness, righteousness, and truth? Will you punch holes in the darkness? Let's pray. God, we love you.